Good morning, everybody. If you're new, my name is Alex. I'm a pastor here. Uh, if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word? We're going to be continuing our study in Titus, and we're going to be reading Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. It says this, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to slander no one, not to be contentious, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our time in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This statement is trustworthy, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for people. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are useless and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning, being self-condemned. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. So the Bible... What we know as the Word of God and the Scriptures, uh, the, the book, you know, that we just read of, it's not just one book. In fact, it's comprised of 66 different literary works. And if you grew up in church, you, you probably hear them as 66 books of the Bible. But the reason why we use that term literary works is that these 66 works, they're all different. They're not all the same. What we just read from is a letter. Uh, or the, the fancy word for it is an epistle, but it's a letter from Timothy to Titus. It's, it's what we've been studying these last couple of weeks. But not all of the 66 works in the Bible are letters. In fact, each work has its own genre. It kind of has its own, not just style, but it's a completely different way of writing. It's a completely different way of giving the message that the author wants to give. And there's a lot of different genres within the Bible. You have a lot of works which are narrative. Narrative's the largest genre throughout the entire Bible. You have a lot of poetry, and when I say poetry, specifically Hebrew poetry, which is a very different style of poetry than what we think of when we think of, of like English poetry. There's wisdom literature, like Proverbs, which is also kind of connected to poetry, but it's also its own separate thing. You have the prophets, which utilize narrative and wisdom literature and Hebrew poetry to convey uh, very interesting and peculiar messages. That's often the work that we interact with the least, just because it's the, the most different. And then you have the letters in the New Testament. You have gospels. You have apocalyptic literature, which is its, its own wild thing. And when I say apocalypse, I don't mean like end-of-the-world zombie apocalypse, but it's, it's a very different thing. And my whole point is that when we engage with the Bible— you can't treat each work of the Bible, each scripture, you can't treat it all the same because they're not the same. They're different. You can't treat a letter the same that you would treat Leviticus. You can't treat a prophet the same way that you would treat the Gospel of Luke. They have different rules. It, it's kind of like this, like a good analogy. Oh, 
I don't, I don't know if I've used this analogy before, but a good analogy would be if you look at sports. Right? There's a lot of different sports out there. There's hockey, there's football, there's basketball, there's baseball, there's tennis, etc. And they all have their own rules. You can't play ho uh, hockey with a tennis racket. It's not going to work. You can't play football with a basketball, right? They all have their own equipment, their own rules, and you have to take each game on its own terms. In the same way, when we come to the Bible, we have to come to the Bible on its own terms. And we have to come to each work within the Bible, each book, each letter, everything. We have to come to it on its own terms. Now, when we come to a letter, the, the funny thing about letters is that letters in the Bible consist of arguments, right? It's kind of like writing an English paper in high school, right? This, this is why the letters are so often read and, and so often preached upon, is because they kind of make the most sense to us. They're very direct, right? The, uh, the author of the letter, he has a main point. He spends the letter arguing for that main point or... or kind of diving deeper into that main point, so you have all these sub-arguments. And then by the end of the letter, he's completed his argument, he's made his point, and he says, go in peace, right? May the grace and peace of God be with you, right? Letters consist of arguments. You have a big argument, and then you have all these little arguments. The passage we just read, Titus 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul is making an argument, Right? This is an argument that's connected to the main theme of the whole letter, but it's also a sub-argument in and of itself. And, and this is Paul's argument in the passage we just read in, in very, very simple five points. It's this, verses 1 and 2. Do what is good, for we were foolish slaves, but we have been regenerated. So do what is good and avoid what is foolish. The entire passage we just read, Titus 3, 1 through 11, can be boiled down to these Five simple points. Do what is good. For we used to be foolish slaves, but we have been regenerated by the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, do what is good and avoid what is foolish. Now, you might have, you might have heard me say this in past sermons, but the way that the biblical authors often thought um, when structuring arguments or when structuring poetry, is they would often put the main point in the middle of their argument. We often put the main point right at the beginning, but the way that the biblical authors operate is they put the, the main point right in the middle. So they're working to the main point, they hit it, and then they work in reverse. And that's exactly what Paul does here in this argument. He says, do what is good, for we were foolish slaves. And then he gets to his main point, which is, you have been regenerated by the blood of Christ and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes in reverse. So do what is good and don't be foolish. If the, the middle is the main point, then Paul's primary focus, what he wants Titus to understand and what we ought to understand, is that first and foremost, when we think of our lives as we follow Jesus, we have to understand that we have been regenerated by the work of Christ and the work. So this really comes into play in verses 5 and 6 and 7. So I want us to, to reread that, those verses again. Verses 5, 6, and 7. He, Jesus, saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, 
whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. A lot of the sermon series in studying through Titus, a lot of it has been focused right on us, right on, on us being active in the church, doing good deeds in the church, discipling one another in the, chur- in our, in the church. That's been our focus because that's been a lot of the letter. But the reason why we're so committed to living good lives, to loving one another, to discipling one another, to being active in this church community, we don't all do it to earn salvation. No, Paul makes it clear we've been saved not because of our works, but because of the work of Christ. We do good works because of what Christ has done for us. He's transformed us. He's made us new. Right, that word regeneration, it comes from the Greek word, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but it comes from the Greek word palignesia, right? And um, the really interesting thing, I just, I just actually had someone ask me today, they're like, is there, is there like a Bible dictionary? I want to know, like when I look at a word, if the Bible means the same thing that I think of when I think of that word. Because the truth is, is that, and we do this all the time, you'll be talking to someone, and you'll use a word, And that other person will use the exact same word. But the two of you might mean completely different things. This just came up uh, in an elders meeting one day. I said something was sick. And one of the other elders had to ask me, is that? It was was like, do you mean the bad sick or the good sick? I was like, no, the good sick. Right? (laughs) Right? I meant it was cool. It was great. Um, but we, we, have to, we have to really think about our language because we can't just assume, even if we're using the same words, that we mean the same thing. And so the person who asked me this, they, they had a great intuition. They're like, when I am reading the Bible, I want to know what it is saying, not what I already think that word means. And the thing about the Bible is the Bible is written in other languages. It wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and, and a little bit of Aramaic. And both of those languages are ancient languages. Like the, the Greek of the Bible is, is not modern Greek. The Hebrew of the Bible is not modern Hebrew. Right? So the best way that translators can try to understand the original meaning of these words is to see where else they get used in the scriptures. So if you see the same word get used in this place, this place, and this place, and it's all the same context, then translators can be like, all right, we have a good idea of what this means because it's used in the same place. And so that's how translators try to understand the meaning of these words, is they look where the Bible uses those words in other places. The funny, the funny thing about this word, palgnesia, is it actually only gets used in one other place in the Bible. One other place. And so if we want to understand what this word regeneration means, then it would be good and wise and proper of us to go to that other place and look at that context. And maybe it can help us have a better understanding and a better definition for this word regeneration. That one other place is in Matthew chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles open, flip over there. It's going to take me a bit because I didn't bookmark it for some reason. So, But you can turn there. Matthew chapter 19. Huh? You beat me to it. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19. We're going to start in uh, verse 24. No, uh, 23. We're going to start in verse 23. Now Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, It will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when the disciples heard this, they were astonished. And they asked, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter responded to Jesus and said, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What will there be for us then? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this is the only other place that that word, palgnesia, is used. It gets used in this conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and it's, it's about salvation. It's about restoration. It's about the kingdom of God and who actually gets to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's not just people who are with Jesus. It's not just people who are showing up to church. It's not just people who claim to be religious, but it's people who have been regenerated. And this is the key, the key phrase in this passage that we just read is verses 25 and 26. And the disciples are astonished because they're talking about works and who can be saved. And Jesus says it's, it's practically impossible. It's hard. Their response is, who can be saved? Jesus' response is, with, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so when we look at this word regeneration, this is what we should understand it as. Regeneration is our resurrection and our renewal, which is accomplished only by the power of God. That's not something we do to earn or we can make for ourselves. It's something that is done to us. Our resurrection and renewal accomplished only by the power of God, which we experience now and for all eternity. This, this word regeneration, it's not just talking about a future salvation. It's not just talking about something you experience when you die. It's something that you experience now. Paul, in his letter to Titus, says you have been regenerated. Like, it's already happened to you. So Paul is explaining to Titus, you have been resurrected. You have been made new. And we know, especially in these words of Jesus, that there is, that work is going to continue to happen right, into all of eternity, that we look forward to the day that Revelation describes when the new heavens and the new earth, when everything in the universe is made new once and for all, for all of eternity, right? But that's not something we are just waiting for, that we sit on our hands with and just wait. God is at work today. God is at work right now, that when someone experiences the regeneration that comes from the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and the moving of the Holy Spirit, they are made into a new creation right then and there. And we understand what that looks like, even in the now, when we look at the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. When you look at the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' resurrection, it's not just a fixing of his deadness right? That, that's, not the, that's not the point. It's not just that Jesus' body died and then he was brought back to life, that he was exactly the same as he was before death. When Jesus is resurrected, he's made new. 
He's different. When you read the, the end of the Gospels and the beginning of Acts, Jesus' body and how he engages with the disciples and how he interacts with the disciples, it's in a different way. If you read these accounts, it, it's funny. Jesus is just like teleporting all over the place. He's like phasing in, in and through walls, right? He has this kind of glorified body that resembles his glorification on the mount when he was transfigured. It's not just that he was returned to his living, breathing state before the cross. It's through death and resurrection that he actually is made into something new, something better. He doesn't get rid of the past. No, in fact, when Jesus is engaging with his disciples, he says, look, see, these are the holes in my body. These are the wounds from the, the cross. Those wounds, those scars, they remain, and yet he's fully restored and fully made new and glorified. The old and the scars and the wounds, they remain, but yet he's fully healed. This is a contradiction, and it's a paradox, but it's a paradox that God wants us to understand because this is also going to be the same for our regeneration and our renewal. Our regeneration, when we are made new, it's not that our history, our lives are just fully erased, but rather God takes that and he restores it and he redeems it and he uses it both for our good and the good of others, for his glory. A fantastic illustration of how God works in this regenerative way um, is, is this art form of kintsugi, which is a Japanese art form that takes pottery that has been broken and it uses gold leaf to mend the pottery back together. It's, it's this really, really, really cool, cool art form. Uh, and, and the artist and, and theologian Makoto Fujimura, he writes all about kintsugi in his book, Art and Faith, which is all about this idea that God makes us new. And this, this art piece uh, works so well as an illustration because you can see the lines. You can see every single line where that pottery was shattered. They're still there. The artist took it and took the gold leaf and mended it together. And what ends up being created is more beautiful than the original pottery in the first place. Like, this is such a unique piece of art, and it's, it's very rare because of how time-consuming it is and how much uh, just skill and expertise you need to have in order to do it. But the end result is something more beautiful than what was before. And part of that beauty is you can see the scars from when it was broken. When Jesus rises from the dead, you can see the scars in his body, the disciples see the wounds from the cross, and yet he is more beautiful because of them. Not because those wounds are actively killing him, no, because those wounds have been restored and healed and he's been brought back to life again. This pottery, you can see the scars and the wounds, and it's more beautiful because of it. Jesus is more beautiful because of it, and we are more beautiful because of it. God doesn't just erase your wounds. He doesn't just erase your scars. He doesn't just erase your pain, but he transforms it. He redeems it. He redeems you. And he makes you into a new creation, a more beautiful creation. And he's going to continue to do that work in you and through you as he continues to make the universe new. This is Paul's main point. We must, we must, be deeply concerned with how we live because we have been made new. 
If we have been redeemed, if we have been restored, if we have been regenerated, if we have been made into this new creation, then why, why would we ever go back to what enslaved us before? If we have a Savior who's rescued us and broken our chains, why would we go back and put those chains on? If you've been made into a new creation, then live like you are a new creation. Right? If, uh, sometimes my wife and I are really bad about clearing out our fridge, and often things will get stuck in the back. I just thought of this illustration in the shower this morning. So it was, it's not on my notes, so hopefully it works well. But, but my wife and I, we're really bad about clearing out our fridge sometimes. And what we'll do is we'll wait, and we'll wait, and there will be a couple Tupperware in the back that have been hidden behind other Tupperware that are more, more recent. And then one day, when I have a, a nice, I don't know, spare 30 minutes, I'll open up the fridge and be like, there's way too much stuff in here. And I just start pulling everything out. And I pull out all that stuff in the back and I open it. And unfortunately for me, a lot of times when I open it, I'll find that there aren't just leftovers in there, but something has grown on top of those leftovers. A nice white little fuzzy, fuzzy mold. And then I have to go through and I have to scrape it all into the trash and make sure I clean it out and all of that. If I, if I handed you a moldy orange... I was like, here, go eat this. You'd be like, no, that will kill me. <laughs> and what if I told you, oh, no, 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 no. It's been, it's been made new. It's been all cleaned. It's been all, all restored. We, we got rid of all that mold. And the person's looking at the orange, and they can clearly see it's covered in mold. They wouldn't believe me. There's no way they would be eating that orange. Some of us, we live lives in that way. We claim to be made new, we claim to be regenerated and restored, and yet we have done nothing to get rid of our sin. And then we go out into the world, and we tell the world, look at how made new I am, and the world just sees all that mold. And then they want nothing to do with Jesus, because they think it's all hypocrisy. They think it's all hypocrisy. Our good works don't save us. We've been saved by the work of Jesus. But because we've been saved... And because we've been shown a better way, and because we've been freed from the shackles of sin, which we were slaves to, Paul describes in this passage, we were foolish slaves. Because we've been set free, let's live free lives. And as we continue to do regenerative works, we actually get to play a part in the regeneration of other people. Because your salvation isn't just for you, but God actually gives you this calling. He invites you into his mission of making the world new. When God made Adam and Eve, you can flip to Genesis chapter 2 if you want, God made Adam and Eve with a purpose. Some people think that our calling to work is a result of sin, but it's not. It's not actually. If you go look at Genesis chapter 2, you'll see that God plants a garden and he takes the man and he puts the man in the garden to work it to care for it, to tend to it. The result of sin is that that work becomes tainted. It becomes hard and difficult and brutally painful and exhausting. But from the very beginning, God made us as people to work. Why? Because he invites us to work alongside him. God is a creative God who loves to make. And so he makes human beings in his own image, and he invites them to create and make in the garden that he made. God is all about inviting his creation to join him in the things that he loves to do. 
So if God is on this mission to make this world new, then he invites us to join him in that mission, that we get to play a part in making the world new. That as you are someone who's made new and regenerated and have been saved, your life should be a shining example of that salvation. And you get to be a vessel through which God will work to redeem other people and make them new. This is Paul's whole point in Titus, that the church is not just made up of isolated individuals, but that we are one family and that we have a calling to one another, to love one another and to show God's grace to one another and to disciple one another, right? That God would use us to continue to to develop and disciple and sanctify others and to show the world who does not know him who he truly is, This is how we ought to live. Because we have been made new. So as we come away from this passage, remember, you have been regenerated. So live like it. Do regenerative work. Show the world what a life following Christ looks like. Show the world the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the character of Christ. Model that for other people. Be, be a force in this world that actually is, is joining God in his mission to make things new and to restore and redeem and point everything back to him, all because of the work that Christ has done in you, first and foremost. This is our calling. If you would, would you please pray with me? God, we love you and we thank you. Help us uh, this day and every day to remember what you have done, that we, we don't earn our salvation. We don't earn your approval. God, you've freely given that to us. So help us to to recognize that and to rest in that. But then coming out of that, to live as a new creation, one that has been washed clean and freed by the moving of the Spirit and the work of Christ. It's in your Son's name we pray all these. Amen.